This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am back. After a week off, I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is Brian Calm. Yes, as always, I am here, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but every now and then, I suppose we need to go off and do something else on a Sunday morning. So I forgive you as long as you give this episode your all. Yeah, it's going to be huge. I know, Brian, you're the constant, you're the Desmond. Who's Desmond? It's a Lost reference. Who watched that show? Everyone! That was a great show! Okay, let's focus on fantasy hockey here. Huge episode today. So much to talk about. Before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. What is there really to say about DauberHockey.com at this point? We talk about it every week. It's the best site for fantasy hockey, hands down. It's got all the content that you need, like articles, you know, daily ramblings, comparisons of players. Like every once in a while, they'll have an article just comparing this guy to this guy. Like, oh, that is interesting. I wonder who they'll pick as the better guy. They, of course, then have all of the tools you need to do well in your pool, starting goalies, line combinations, player comparison tools, player raiders. They've got it all. Definitely, you need to check it out if you want to do well in fantasy hockey, DauberHockey.com. It's good. Trust me. So, okay, let's get started with the top fantasy hockey headline of the week. And how can we not talk about Leon Dreisaitl on the Edmonton Oilers? He got called up a couple of games ago. He's played two games, and now he has five points in those two games. This is a guy who we talked about a little bit in the preseason series. I remember he was doing pretty well in the preseason, but then he ended up getting sent down. So I was like, okay, forget about him for this season, or at least for now. Then we get the news that he's being called up, probably in part due to the Justin Schultz injury, and of course, Eberle still being injured. They had room. They brought up Dreisaitl. They slotted him right in. I knew something was going to happen because you saw in Roto World, you know, just leading up to his first game with the Oilers, that he'd be slotting in on the top line with Taylor Hall and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Not shabby line mates to say the least and he delivered he scored two goals against Montreal and then yesterday against Calgary a goal and two assists including a power play goal he also had a power play goal the day before Dreisaitl has been amazing and I'm sure everyone is now wondering should I pick up Leon Dreisaitl should I drop this guy for Dreisaitl should I drop that guy for Dreisaitl we're actually gonna do a whole segment later on this episode about really good players that are not doing so well and I'm sure we're gonna be getting questions about all those guys asking if they should be dropped for Dreisaitl so Brian What is the lowdown? He's not going to score goals every game, I assume. Also, there's, of course, this concern about Eberle coming back and what that's going to do to Dreisaitl's plum spot in the lineup. So what's your lowdown? 
What should people be expecting over the next few weeks and for the rest of the season from Leon Dreisettel? I'm going to jump right into wet blanket mode and correct you on that last <laughs> comment. Dreisettel actually had a power play assist, not a power play goal, but I understand how excited you were about it. And yeah, you have reason to be. Five points in two games played, seven shots on goal. And this is for a guy who the Oilers foolishly burned a year of his entry-level contract on last year. And in 37 games last year, he only had nine points. So in one eighteenth of the amount of games played, he already has more than 50% of his point total from last year, which is obviously a really exciting thing. And we can probably credit his shift to the wing for that. If you're playing center for the Edmonton Oilers and you are not already established as someone who can really handle their own things, it might not always go well. So playing on the wing for Dreisaitl is a really ideal situation for him. And you already hit the nail on the head, Elon. The concern is that when Eberle comes back, where do the pieces fall? He's going to step into a top six role, which means that either Yakupov or Drysettle are going to move out of that top six in all likelihood. And Drysettle, you know, could still be sent down hypothetically, although if he keeps this up, he's going to make it awful hard for the Oilers to do that. So if you're a dry settle owner right now, and if you're a Yakupov owner right now, you are cheering hard for your guy and against the other guy because they have only limited time left to really prove themselves as being worthy of that top six spot. And I'm not really sure if you can really say dry settle has bumped himself up above Yakupov, even though it's been a really exciting two games. If we look at Yakupov's line, he saw his 10 points, two goals and eight assists in 12 games played on 30 shots, while Drysettle has three goals on his seven shots on goal, which, as you know, is not going to be a thing throughout the season. He's not going to score three goals for every seven shots he takes. But I feel like if you want to add him right now, depends on your sort of fantasy hockey philosophy. If you want to go for the hot hand and, like, maybe let somebody who might have a better month or two ahead of them stay in the free agent pool, then I totally get that. But if you're in a league where there aren't a lot of steady hands in your free agent pool and you're trying to decide between one of them or Drysettle, then your decision gets a little more difficult. Drysettle, you're also probably hoping, gets wing eligibility added to him very soon. One of the reasons I did not pick him up is because he's still a dedicated center in ESPN and I needed a right wing, so I picked up Cam Atkinson instead, who maybe we'll touch on a little bit later in this show. I think that oof is a little premature, Elon. <laughs> well, just based on yesterday's results. I mean, I'm sure you would have been happy having Dry still in your lineup. It actually might have swung one, potentially two categories my way to have Dry settle over Atkinson this week. I was messaging you, Brian. I was like, I can't believe that Dry still still available in my... Th- we're talking about the Cacupful here, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. And in my Cacupful League, after his great game on Thursday night, I put a bid on him and I still lost because we're using this fab system and everyone gets a chance to bid on any free agents. And my bid wasn't high enough. Someone else got dry still. Then I saw in Brian's league, dry still wasn't even picked up. So he still had a chance to get him. And I said, make a bid on him. And then Brian was like, no, I need a right wing. Next thing you know, he gets Cam Atkinson. The guy who got dry still in his cupful league got him for just nothing, like a $0 bid. I couldn't believe it. You could have had him for a dollar. Yeah, so what's his true value, Elon? I guess the next couple weeks will tell. We'll know more once Eberle comes back. We'll know once he gets a few more games in the lineup. But right now, playing alongside Nugent Hopkins and Hall is a beautiful 
beautiful thing for him. And I feel like as long as he's there, he's going to be picking up points by association. In fact, I mean, not like there's a ton of assists to go on, but both of assists have been secondary assists for what that's worth. Basically, I guess that means that maybe he wasn't even the key contributor to that assist, except just being on this line means he's likely to get assists because those guys are going to be scoring and all he has to do is touch the puck. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. But again, only two assists. We're not going to come into any great conclusion because of it. Right. <laughs> the point is that he's 20 years old now. He's grown a year since last year. And like you said, Elon, we were high on him going into the season before we knew he was getting sent down. So it's exciting to see him up in the lineup. And we do have high hopes for him. But it's really hard to make the call on whether or not to grab him until we see Eberly in the lineup. Yeah, okay. So I guess... I just kind of have a different philosophy. I guess you said it depends on your fantasy hockey philosophy, and mine might be a little different. I feel like we're early enough in the season that there's still going to be some players available in free agency now that are going to end up being like stars by the end of the year. This happened last year with guys like Yori Laterra and Johnny Godreau. Maybe we're past the Johnny Godreau mark by now. But you know, there were some guys that were in free agency at the start of the year, and by the end, it's like, oh my god, I can't believe I didn't pick that guy up when I had the chance. And maybe Dry still will be that guy. Maybe he won't. But I feel like we're talking about the last place in your roster. Right? We're talking about dropping your worst player and picking someone up. I think it's worth the risk. Worst case, you drop drives until you pick someone else up. I guess, like you said, it depends how deep your league is. If there's lots of good free agents always available, then I think it's a no-brainer to grab Dries till now and ride his hot streak and hope for the potential of him staying in that top six. But even in a deep league, I think he's definitely... It's hard not to want to pick him up. I should also mention he played on the top power play, or I guess they just split the power play. Both really strong power plays, by the way, on Edmonton. Connor McDavid and Benoit Pouliot and Neil Yakupov are on one of them. Also, they're on the same line together. Then you've got Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, and Hall. It's got basically their lines are also their power play lines, except you throw in a couple of other players. But yeah, so Dreisaitl was playing big power play minutes. He also played big minutes just in general. Like, I think it's interesting that he's been playing 18 and 19 minutes in these two games, which is not usually the deployment for a young rookie. Yeah, to that effect, it's actually really nice. Sometimes when a player gets called up from the AHL, a scorer... You know, they get buried in some bottom six role or they have to prove themselves defensively responsible and they can't, in the brief time that they're up there, put up any goals, so they just get sent back down. But I feel like there's a shift in that sort of thinking across most NHL organizations, and it was really nice to see him step straight up into the top six. Ilana, I actually have a this guy or that guy question for you, and I think it gets to the heart of the decision, if you're picking up dry settle or not. Would you prefer at this point, to have Leon Dreisettle or Benoit Pouliot on your roster? Okay, interesting question. I actually did just pick up Benoit Pouliot in the cacuffle after I lost my bid on Dreisettle. So first of all, let me give a little bit of context here. We've got a lot of hot Edmonton Oilers right now, and there's two strong lines. There's this Dreisettle, Hall, and Nugent Hopkins, and then McDavid, who, by the way, Connor McDavid is awesome. Let's just put that out there now, maybe for the first time. We must have said that before, but okay. But we've got McDavid, Yakupov and Pouliot as the other line and both lines have been hot like McDavid's been getting points in like every game Nail Yakupov now has 10 points in 12 games he was on a big point streak until yesterday where he didn't get anything but it was a seven game point streak and then Benoit Pouliot on that line also has been doing well and by the way I was watching the Oilers game yesterday and Pouliot scored a power play goal but then it got called back because like lets you touched barely he grazed Kari Ramo in the forehead, and I guess that was enough to call it goalie interference. But Pouliot was on a five-game point streak before yesterday's game, so that line has been hot. But to answer your question, I still would go with Leon Dreisaitl, just because Benoit Pouliot, first of all, he's only 5.4% owned 
in ESPN. He's not owned that much in Yahoo. So I feel like maybe, especially now that he didn't get a point yesterday, a point that counted, I feel like people are going to be going for Drysdale. This is your chance to get Drysdale. I would just want to grab him. And I feel like playing on the top line with Hall and Nugent Hopkins is still better than being on the second line. Maybe that's crazy because McDavid is so amazing. But to answer your question, if I had to pick right now, gun to my head, I would definitely take Drysdale. Worst comes to worst, you might even still be able to get Pouliot later on if Drysdale slows down. What do you think? Good rundown. I won't make you go back and answer again, but I wanted to like try and clarify if it was a season long, like if you had to pick one for the whole season and keep them regardless of whether or not you could pick up somebody else who it would be. Although that is a less realistic scenario than the one you described. So great rundown of all things Edmonton. It's so exciting to be talking about Edmonton in such a positive light after so much hope for so many years. Let's hope it continues. Yeah, well, I guess we should mention then if we're being so positive about Edmonton, they did lose this game yesterday <laughs> because Cam Talbot couldn't stop the puck all of a sudden and Michael Froelich got the hat trick for Calgary. So maybe, Brian, really quickly, Michael Froelich, any fantasy value there? Same as always. He's a guy who can put up points when put in those situations, but I don't think he's going to very often in Calgary. So you can count on him for like maybe 50 points or so. He's not going to get hat tricks very often in his career. But it was a great showing from him. Seven shots on goal as well. So it's not like he was just three for three. Yeah, but we should keep in mind, like you say, he's now got eight points in 12 games, but three of them are the goals, his only goals of the season. He's kind of like Joel Ward, Elon. Oh, Joel Ward. Well, I don't know. Is he like Joel Ward? Because Froelich before yesterday only had five points in 11 games. He was less than half a point per game. Now, obviously, three goals and we're in such a early part of the season that a three goal game could really bump up your overall points per game. But Joel Ward, on the other hand, he's actually been a consistent guy. We mentioned him at the start of the year, like, oh, he's going to be in the top six in San Jose. That might be a nice role for him. He might be able to produce. And then, you know, he had a couple good games. He got two assists against Anaheim back on, like, October 10th. And then he was getting a goal or an assist in every second game. And it was like, oh, this guy seems to be consistent. But come on, he's just Joel Ward. He's only going to get 50 points. But, like, let's just run it down here. He had a goal and assist yesterday against Dallas. And that puts him at 10 points in 10 games so far on the year, which is crazy. Like, Joel Ward has never put up numbers like this. And since you brought him up, Ryan, I guess it's a perfect time to just talk about how high is his value. I'd say definitely higher than Michael Froelich. Yeah, higher than Froelich, I think, except the reason I made the comparison is because Joel Ward also had a hat-trick earlier this year that contributed significantly to his point total at that point and still does. So, you know, we can't say without the hat-trick because it happened, but I'm still sort of going to go down that route and say he'd have seven points in 10 games without it, although that is still pretty good. And I'm just looking to see whether his production so far has like sort of been earned by him or if it's just been a matter of being in the right place at the right time. And I actually think he has earned more than you'd think. If we're looking at how much he's contributing while he's on the ice, you can see that his teammates are shooting about what you'd expect, maybe a little better than you'd expect with him on the ice, but still nothing that would hand him out like totally free assists and what he's getting. And of the assists that he does have, a couple of them have been primaries. So he is playing somewhat of an integral part of that line with Marlowe and Hurdle slash Couture. The thing that concerns me the most with him is that his shooting percentage is sky high right now. It is way above 30%, and that's not something that's going to last. But even so, I think it's still safe to consider him as like a 45, 50-point guy. He's been in 
kind of a similar role in Washington for the last couple years, being sort of a complementary player, playing with some very good players while doing it, and being able to hold his own and pick up points while doing it. So I don't see why that should be any different over the course of the whole season in San Jose. I just would really be looking for this goal-scoring pace to subside a little bit. And while we're on it, I noticed that his IPP, his individual points percentage, which, Elon, we talked about back on the Advanced Stats episode. Do you happen to remember what it is? Are you able to explain it more succinctly than I'm going to be able to? (laughs) Yeah, I think I could do it. I recall that IPP is the percentage of points you get relative to the number of goals that are scored when you're on the ice. So if it's 100%, that means every single time there's a goal scored while you're on the ice, you're getting either the goal or an assist. And then it goes down if you're like on the ice, but you don't get in on the goal. Yeah, exactly. And right now, his IPP is actually an impossible 116.7%. So, you know, when your coach asks you to give 110%, I guess Joel Ward was like, fine, and I'll give you 6% more than that, too. So I guess that's some sort of, like, scorekeeping glitch that's being scraped onto, I'm looking at hockey analysis right now, and it will be corrected over time. I don't know, maybe he got an assist after he went on the bench. Yeah, that could be it. But, like, that's just crazy, and maybe that's just another sign that he is being a part of too many goals, that we can't expect him to keep getting in on every goal scored while he is on and off the ice. Usually that number, in his career at least, has been, actually it's been a little all over the place, but last year it was just 53%. A couple years before that, it was right around 70, which would probably be about his career average. So there's a few reasons to think that Joel Ward's production will definitely not sustain itself at this rate, but there is still plenty of reason to think that he can be a consistent producer through the season. Yeah, I think now's a good time if you can, if you have Joel Ward and there's someone in your league who's frustrated with his line mate, Patrick Marlowe, who only has six points in 10 games. Maybe now's the time to be like, hey, how about I'll give you Ward, the guy with 10 points in 10 games. You give me Marlowe, who sucks. I think that would work out for you long term. Especially if you word it like that. <laughs> and Brian, if I recall, Joel Ward is still available in York, a cup full league. And yeah, maybe I'm a bit of a stalker, like looking at your league. But you, like you said, picked up Atkinson instead of Drysatil and instead of Joel Ward. What's with this Atkinson guy? Why are you so into him? Well, Cam Atkinson is a guy that we have been waiting to break out for some time now. And actually, we had this conversation on the Facebook group a few games in, and he was about to get scratched in a game against the Islanders. And my response was, you know, like, we can't keep holding our breath for this guy. We're not, I'm not waiting on him any longer. He's going to be what he's going to be. But until he becomes anybody who's a threat to score more than 50, 55 points, I'm not going to give him the sort of attention that a prospect like him would command for the first couple years of his career because he's burnt through those years already. But then John Tortorella was brought in and he played a season high 17 minutes, which is not a huge number, but he played season high 17 minutes in Torch's coaching debut. And in fact, he got up to 20 minutes a couple games ago against Washington. And in the five games that Tortorella has been behind the bench for, Atkinson has points in four of them. He has a goal and three assists. He's rated a plus three and has taken 13 shots on goal in those five games. So I see something promising there. I see a chance for a player who has not really succeeded to the extent that they've wanted to before, maybe getting a fresh start. And I feel like when a coach comes in and sees a player that's young, that could be maybe their pet project to turn around, that could be a positive thing. And this is like not so much like me. I know to speculate on like the coach player dynamic situation, but regardless of that, he has points in four of his last five games, picked up an assist last night, is seeing some power play time, not a ton, 
Hopefully he gets a little more down the road. But I guess just call it a hunch that he is going to see an increased role and better offensive opportunities now that Tortorella is behind the bench. Tortorella doesn't seem to have a lot of other favorites on the Blue Jackets so far anyway. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I'll be interested to see how Cam Atkinson works out for you. I predict maybe he won't be on your roster for that much longer. Like you talked about him as saying to start this segment that, you know, we should maybe not be interested in him if he's just going to stick with being this like 50, 55 point guy. He's actually never hit more than 40 points in his career. But of course, it's still a young career. And like you say, maybe he just needed the support of the coach. And now he is playing on a decent line with Dubinsky and Scott Hartnell. And those are two guys who are capable of putting points on the board. So yeah, definitely in a deep league, I think Atkinson is interesting. And I'll be interested to see, but I still think I'd rather have Joel Ward at this point. You might be right. I would just rather go for the guy who has had less success to date than the guy who has had way too much success to date, even if I think their futures are going to be roughly similar. I know like it's a bit of gambler's fallacy, right? Like a guy has already had his luck, so it's going to run out, or a guy has not had his luck yet, so he's about to get some. But this is like, you know, these are the intangibles in my fantasy hockey management strategy. And I acknowledge that it might not have been the best choice, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend the same for everyone else. In fact, if somebody asked me straight up, should I add Ward or Atkinson, I would probably tell them to add Ward. Well, and maybe if they're asking you that, they might also be considering another right wing who has been on fire lately, and that's Brett Connolly on the Boston Bruins. He's got a six-game point streak going right now, believe it or not. Four goals and two assists in his last six games played. He's been on a line with Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron. And Connolly, and this is a guy who's really come out of nowhere. Like, if we're talking about Cam Atkinson or Joel Ward coming out of nowhere, Connolly is 23 years old. He's already been in the league for a few years. Never had more than 68 games played. He played 68 games in 11-12 with Tampa Bay in his first season, had 15 points. Then you look through the years, he hardly ever got on the team. Then last year, he played on Tampa Bay for 50 games before being traded to Boston. At the end of the year, he ended up with 17 points in 55 games, so just basically nothing, right? And now this year, on Boston, nine games, six points, but those six points are all in his last six games. So can we expect this to keep going for Brett Connolly? Now, if I remember correctly, during his rookie season on Tampa, he was not exactly being given plum opportunities to produce. He was more of like a bottom six depth guy, and they might have given him a couple shakes at a bigger role, but for the most part, I don't think that, you know, a lack of goal scoring was completely on him. He was a sixth overall pick back in 2010, so he had this high pedigree, but then there were some wrist issues that might have sidelined the expectations that we had for him, but he was still able to produce pretty well in the AHL. In fact, he was nearly a point-per-game player during the most recent two seasons that he spent there, and in Boston, he did make an impression after being traded to the Bruins, he came over and picked up two points in five games played before roaring into this season with the six points that he has in nine games played so far. And if you take a look at his ice time, you'll see that it's actually gone down somewhat. Like on opening night, he played 17 minutes and then got busted down to 13. And since then has been sort of moving back and forth inside the say roughly 14 to 16 minute range. So I don't know how many minutes you're going to get out of Brett Connolly. He's playing on a great line right now, which is a really good sign. We know that Brad Marchand is clicking and that Bergeron is like a solid defensive player, which, you know, in my kind of theorizing, I think that that will allow Connolly a little extra offensive rope. And just overall, this is a good situation for him. It might not be something that he can keep producing at this rate. There's the obvious and usual caveats with shooting percentage happening here. But he is somebody who was supposed to produce 
reasonably well in the NHL. And maybe this is a great opportunity for him to do so. Someone to watch. I don't know if I'd add him just yet, but if you get the sense that he is going to stay on that line for the foreseeable future, then I'd want him on my team for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good call. And, you know, since we're talking about the Bruins, we have to mention that did we get something wrong about the Bruins? Because I know at the beginning of the year we were focused a lot on how Tuka Rask was doing badly and how they don't have any defense. But I feel like maybe we've gone a bit too far in saying how bad the Bruins are going to be this year because the Bruins have been scoring a lot of goals. Like this team are averaging 3.9 goals a game. That's first in the league in goals. So this is a team that is able to put up offense and we really need to be looking at a lot of players on their lineup. And you mentioned Bergeron and Marchand as Connolly's line mates. And it's funny because you're saying that Bergeron's like this defensive guy. Well, this defensive guy has 10 points in 10 games. Brad Marchand now has nine points in eight games. He got no points his first two games of the year. Then he was down with injury for a couple of games. And since he's come back in six games, he's got nine points. In six games, he has scored four goals in his last three games. He got another goal and assist yesterday against Tampa Bay. So Brad Marchand is on fire. It's almost like overshadowing the fact that David Krejci yesterday got no points. And that was his first game without getting a point since the start of the season. So it's like, forget about David Krejci. Now let's talk about Brad Marchand. But of course, David Krejci is showing himself to be more than capable of hitting the 70-point mark that he's done before in his career. And now Brad Marchand, maybe he's the one that's the most interesting because this is a guy who's never had more than 55 points. And right now, like I said, he's on this amazing streak. Do you think that Brad Marchand can break 55 points or do you see that as kind of his ceiling? Here's the thing right now is that everything looks good for Brad Marchand in terms of sustainable numbers at even strength, although those are a lot more reasonable than what's happening on the power play. The Bruins, like you're talking about their success, almost a third of their goals so far this season have been scored with the man advantage. They are clicking at a 35% success rate leading the NHL in that stat, picking up 12 goals in 34 opportunities, and they have only 27 even strength goals, which, like, not only, I shouldn't say that exactly, but the point is that I don't know that they're going to be able to keep converting on the power play at this rate exactly, and I think that's why we've seen a lot of Bruins get a bump, although I do think that a lot of people might have been a little too down going into the season about the Bruins, ourselves included, although, Elon, I think it is worth reminding ourselves that we did have Krejci high on our lists early on in the season, noticing that he was just being left for dead, essentially. And right now he's third in the NHL with 15 points, only behind that duo in Dallas, Ben and Sagan. So I'd still probably fit Marshawn into like a 55, 60 point range for sure over the course of the season. But right now, like, I feel like if you can get anyone with 60 point potential on your free agency list, then that's probably someone you should go for. So if somehow he was dropped earlier in the year because of that brief injury he had, like he was in our joint league, Elon, make it your job to find out if there's somebody on your roster worth dropping to get him on there. So reading between the lines here, I think you'd rather have Marshawn than even Leon Dry still right now? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt. Of all the guys we've talked about so far on this show, unless I'm forgetting someone, I would definitely go Marshawn. And we should also give credit, by the way, to Tori Krug, who is manning that first power play unit, has five power play assists in 10 games played, tack on three even strength assists to that, and you have eight points in 10 games for Tori Krug, who we were also 
very excited about going into this season. Yeah, eight points in 10 games for Tori Krug. Those are elite defenseman numbers. And of course, like you say, there's been a lot of points on the power play. We'll see once the Bruins get back to a normal. They're not going to score 3.9 goals per game throughout the season, that's for sure. But it'll be interesting to see. Like, Tori Krug is definitely their top defense option. There's, like, no other option. So it's going to be him. You would have been smart to have drafted him. I think reasonably high in your league. I wish I did, but I didn't. And another guy I really wanted to draft in all of my leagues, and somehow I kept on missing him, John Klingberg on Dallas. This is a defenseman who's making Tori Krug look like nothing. Klingberg has 11 points in 11 games. He's been everything we hoped for. You know, going into the season, we thought Dallas, once again, same as last year, we thought Dallas for sure is going to be getting a lot of points. The difference is, last year going into the season, we thought, yeah, and who's going to be manning that power play? Maybe it's going to be Trevor Daly. Maybe it's going to be Alex Goligoski. This year, there is no question. There was no question going into the year that Klingberg was going to be the guy, and he has delivered. He had two assists yesterday against San Jose. He's been getting points basically in every game. He's on a seven-game point streak at this point. He's putting up power play points but he's also getting a lot of even strength points. He's playing over 20 minutes a game. He played 23 minutes yesterday, averaging 23 minutes, actually. I shouldn't even say 20 minutes. That's, like, too low for John Klingberg. He's quickly becoming one of the elite defensemen in fantasy, like, one of the maybe top guys. Like, I don't even know how high should we be talking about John Klingberg, Brian, at this point. Like, how high is Klingberg? I was thinking that while you were talking this, looking through his numbers, trying to find, like, something to pick on, like, some aberration, something that just does not make sense at all. But really, like, everything he's doing right now and that his teammates are doing with him on the ice is about in line with what happened last year. And last year he was a 40-point guy, but that was in 65 games played. He would have been a 50-point guy had he played the whole season, all 82 games. So that's a really great precedent to have set for himself. And I just don't see really anything that puts up a red flag for me. I mean, he is the uncontested pretty much power play quarterback on one of the league's most potent power plays. In fact, the Stars are right up there with the Bruins so far this year. They're third in the league in both goals per game and power play success rate. And Klingberg has been a really good part of that. The one place where I do see a bit more of a bump than usual is in his IPP. So while goals are being scored at even strength only, he seems to be getting in on more of those this year than he did last year. And we might expect that to tail off a little bit. So maybe that'll take him down from like that 82 point pace down to that, you know, maybe 50, 55. Is that too optimistic point pace that we might expect instead? There's just so much firepower to be in his position on that blue line. And he does seem to be like a skilled guy. He is not Trevor Daly. And you know my feelings about Trevor Daly, which was a right place, right time kind of situation. And I feel like that's all coming to fruition in Chicago right now when he wasn't even given a chance to take the reins in Chicago when Duncan Keith went down. John Klingberg is different because I think he actually has the tool set that goes with being a number one offensive defenseman and power play quarterback. And really, I think the sky is the limit this year with Klingberg. Anyone who is lucky enough to draft him should be very, very happy. I have him in one of my leagues, and I feel that way myself. You do? Oh, lucky guy. Yeah, if you're in a keeper league and you have Klingberg... Like, at this point, I don't even know how high his potential is. Like, you're saying 50, 55 points. Is that too high? I'm wondering, is that too low? Like, but I guess we'll see. I can see him getting 60 points. Maybe I'm crazy. 
But Brian, here, let me give you a quick comparison then. I want to ask you what you think about Klingberg versus maybe like a Victor Hedman. Like here's another guy who has 10 points in 11 games this year. A real bounce back year for Hedman on Tampa Bay after he, he disappointed some people last year. He had a great start last year. Then he really slowed down after he came back from injury. But right now, if you had to pick who's going to get more points this year, would you say Klingberg or Hedman? Well, Hedman is no slouch, right? With 10 assists in 11 games played, only three on the power play though. And that might be the difference maker. If you remember, last year Tampa's power play was miserable for a good chunk of the season. In fact, maybe the entire thing. And this year so far, they're more of a middle-of-the-pack team, which is an improvement. But Dallas is so great on the power play that maybe I would take the chance, you know, make a bet on those five points that I might be able to get extra on the power play, especially if that's a category in your league to go with Klingberg. You know how long I've backed Hedman, so this is like a really difficult call to make, but at this point I'm ready to call it about even. Now, if you switched the teams that they're on, I think I'd still feel inclined to take Hedman. I still like him more as like a well-rounded defenseman, although in fantasy, we're not terribly concerned about defensive acumen. We just want points. And being on the blue line in Dallas, I feel, is going to get you a couple more, at least on the power play, than it will in Tampa. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy world we live in, right? Because you would think on paper, Tampa Bay should also get a ton of power play goals. They've got Steven Stamkos. They've got the triplets. They've got Victor Hedman. But of course... Something is going well in Dallas. Like They must have a really good system to complement their amazing players because they are awesome on the power play. Tampa Bay, not as much right now. I wonder how it'll end up at the end of the year. But, you know, I don't think either of them would be scoring many goals against the LA Kings lately because Jonathan Quick has been fantastic. He's the last hot streak player I want to talk about before we get to more depressing player productions. But we started the... Keeping Carlson 2015-16 season by asking, does Jonathan Quick suck? Because in his first two games, he let in four and five goals. His save percentage was atrocious. LA couldn't win a game. They also lost their third game, even though Quick had a decent start. But since then, it was the does X player suck effect, I guess. Because since we asked that question... Quick is on a six-game winning streak. He has bumped his save percentage all the way up to 925. That's in nine games played, and that includes two games where he had four and five goals a game. So that just shows how good he's been lately. He shut out Carolina, a 40-save shutout last week. And since then, he's beaten Edmonton, Winnipeg, Nashville. Doesn't matter who you throw at him right now. Jonathan Quick is on fire so just wanted to mention that I'm pretty sure that we weren't telling you that you should drop quick after those two games. Of course we weren't. And hopefully you did hang on because he has been rewarding his fantasy owners immensely. Yeah, who would have thought at this point in the season after that start that the Kings and Quick had that we could say he has a 925 save percentage and seven quality starts. That's out of a total of nine starts. And again, a quality start if you're just joining us. A very good stat, like a very fantasy relevant stat because it looks at essentially how many times a goalie is going to give you a really good game versus how many times they're going to blow up your stats. And seven out of the nine starts he's had will have really helped you in your matchups. He really has turned it around quickly, hasn't he? (laughs) Yeah, very well done, Brian. Yeah, him and his LA Kings linemates, right? People were so down on Milan Lucic after a slow start to the year. Lucic now is on a five-game point streak, and he's up to seven points in 10 games on the year. That line of Lucic, 
Toffoli and Jeff Carter has been fantastic. Toffoli and Carter both with 10 points in 10 games. The same can't be said, though, for the first line with features Andrzej Kopitar, who has three points in 10 games, and Marion Gaborik, only two points in 10 games. A lot of people have been asking about what to do about these guys. And this is going to be a good transition to our next segment about players who have been disappointing their fantasy owners after drafting them so high. We talked about last year how Andrzej Kopitar had a slow start to the year, then ended up at almost like a point-per-game pace during the second half, rewarding people who picked him up after someone dropped him or for just rewarding people for holding on to him. Brian, do you foresee the same thing happening this year, or is there actually something wrong with Andrzej Kopitar? No, I'd expect the same thing this year. Like, not to say that he's just like a traditionally slow starter. I just think he's too good to be held down for long, which is probably like an exact quote from what we said about him on the show in the first couple months of last season. His team is not shooting very well with him on the ice. He's not getting in on the goals scored while he's on the ice, although there have not even been a lot of those with the way things are going on that top line in LA so far. I would say, once again, if you can handle it, bide your time with Kopitar. And Elon, you mentioned Carter and Toffoli. Like, I feel like you just glossed over them, though. I just really... Want to give them props. They are doing so well. And to fully, we identified as a guy who could really be ready to continue taking a step this year. I feel like out of last year, even though he's finished so strong, he was lumped in with, say, like a Tanner Pearson kind of guy as someone who just saw, you know, an unsustainable kind of run to start the season. And he might have had a black mark on him because of that. But clearly, that's not the case. I love what he is doing on the second line with Jeff Carter and now Milan Lucic as well. Brian, you know, that's very great what you're saying about these LA Kings guys, but I was trying to bring the mood down a bit. I was done with talking about the hot streak guys. But yes, obviously very good for Lucic. Carter and Tyler Toffoli. But okay, now we're going to officially move into our segment that we're going to title, Do They Suck? <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like we did this for Jonathan Quick in week one. It really turned him around. I remember last year we once did it for Alex Ovechkin when he was on a bit of a slow streak and that turned him around too. So let's see if we can do it for a bunch of guys or maybe we're going to like overuse it and it won't work anymore. But this segment is going to be all about players who we expected to do so much this year and still 10 games into the year. Haven't done anything, and we have to start with Jacob Voracek on Philadelphia. Uh, yes, the Sawyer of the NHL. I don't get it. I was just trying to join in on the lost references. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I know who Sawyer is, but how is Voracek the Sawyer? Just throwing a dart. Just <laughs> okay. trying to be part of the group. There's nothing. Okay, sure. He's the con man, somehow. <laughs> so, Jacob Voracek, this is a guy who had 81 points last season in 82 games, which was a huge breakout year. We said in the offseason that he was now a newly elite player in the league, and he thanked us by so far putting up three assists in 10 games, and that's it. He's got three points, all assists in 10 games, no goals. I'm not going to say anything about how many shots. I have a feeling that's going to be in Brian's analysis, but he has no goals and three assists in 10 games, a huge disappointment. I even read recently on Roto World that he's been bumped from the top line. Him and Giroux aren't going to be playing together anymore. At least that was the news. Maybe that's just a short-term thing, but Matt Reed got up there to play with Giroux. I just unfathomable you know thinking of last year was always about who's going to be playing with Giroud and Voracek now it's like is Voracek going to be able to play with Giroud this has been a horrible start we've been getting lots of questions of people wanting to buy low on Voracek thankfully we haven't had too many I don't think any questions about people asking if they should drop Voracek which is good because that would be a silly thing to do but in terms of buying low or selling while he still has the name value this is what people really need to know so Brian what's your assessment of Voracek's slow start to the year 
I think those questions are very, very near in terms of should I drop Voracek? In fact, somebody dropped him in one of my leagues, and no. I actually grabbed him. Yeah, it's a very shallow league, but I grabbed him, and he's done <laughs> nothing for me yet. He's been like a waste of a roster spot, but I don't expect that to last. It's going to change soon enough. If you do not have Jake Voracek, try your best to buy low. This is the first time since 2008 that Jake Voracek's teammates are scoring more goals without him on the ice than with him on the ice. And that's the first thing that raises my eyebrow because he has been really an offense driver for Philadelphia and Columbus going back to those days. Through the 10 games that he's played, while he's on the ice, Voracek has only seen two pucks get past the opposing goalie at even strength. But the silver lining in that is that he did pick up an assist in both of those cases. And you did mention shots, Elon. He has taken 44 shots on goal so far this season. That's good enough to be fifth in the league behind Taylor Hall, Tyler Sagan, Tarasenko, and Verbata. So that part of his game is not broken. He is still getting chances. And in fact, there really are no parts of his game that are broken. If you hid his scoring line, if you hid the amount of total points he scored from me this season and asked me, what's wrong with Jacob Voracek? I'd be like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're saying because actually, if I'm looking at all the numbers that aren't showing up in box scores, they actually seem to be a touch better than they have been in the past. And I know you might have this concern, Elon, that you just mentioned about being off the top line. And for me, that's more a matter of like, let's just try something, anything to get some offense going, not just from Voracek, but from the team as a whole, rather than being some kind of long-term situation or punishment for Voracek. I think he and Giroud are too good together to be played apart. And just remember that Jacob Voracek was the NHL's leading point getter for stretches during last season. And he's been just as good this year as he's ever been. That is my line on Jacob Voracek. So you want him on your team. If you've got him, I know it's been a really rough few weeks. Us Carlson owners know a little bit about that too. Some superstars are still struggling to get things going. Voracek is one of them, but it's not going to be long. And in fact, it's kind of interesting that he has three points in 10 games, which is awful. But Claude Giroux has five points in 10 games, and he's sort of like flying under the radar with that poor half point per game start. So I'm not worried about either one of them. Everything is going to fall into place in Philadelphia. Giroux and Voracek should spend a good majority of the rest of the season playing together, putting up points happily as always. All right, well, there you go. Brian says he's playing just as well as ever, just not getting the bounces, I guess. So there you go. What can you ask for with all those shots? You're going to get some goals. They're going to come for sure. But another guy who I was going to say hasn't been having much luck scoring goals. He did score a goal yesterday and did take five shots. So a great game yesterday. But Nikita Kucherov on Tampa Bay has been quite the disappointment for the people who drafted him. He now, after that game yesterday, still only has three points, all goals. Three goals in 12 games on the year. A whole bunch of donuts when you look through his box scores. And I guess just like what you said about Giroud relative to Voracek, uh, it's not as if Kucherov's line mates are doing that much better. Palat and Johnson both have just five points in 12 games, but Kucherov is definitely the lowest at three points. And that whole line, it must be disappointing for people. But let's focus in on Kucherov. Brian, are the triplets line overrated? Were they better last year than we should have expected them to be? And is this more in line with what we should expect? Or is it something in the middle? Like, where do you think Kucherov's going to fall this year? Because I know a lot of people are asking about whether they should be targeting him in trades and offering guys who are doing really well. And it's important to know, like, how high can he go after his big breakout last year? 
Kucherov scored just his second even strength goal of the season last night, and it took him 12 games to get there. So that is definitely concerning. And like you touched on already, Elon, I think we should definitely zoom out and look at the line, not just Kucherov, because they are struggling as a group. They have just five goals and eight assists to get them those 13 points through the first 12 games of the season. And the extra men has helped them get there, like being on the power play. And it looks even worse when you realize that they have just three goals combined at even strength, and one of them just came last night with Kucherov. The thing is, they're still shooting at about their usual rate, about six and a half shots per game for the three of them all together. But just nothing is going in. You have Palat and Johnson, who are both straight up 0% at even strength, while Kucherov is floating around 5%. So you have to think the puck is going to start going in a little more for them. But it is worth noting that neither of these three guys seem to be getting the volume of scoring chances at even strength that they saw last year. So even though they might be taking the same number of shots as they were before, they might not be coming from as dangerous places on the ice as they were before and that would be where the concern remains for this group of players the logical conclusion to come to here is that well other teams are preparing for them now they didn't really see it coming maybe it was a bit of a blind side for the first half of last season and then they started adjusting towards the end of the season to get better at facing them but now they've had a whole offseason to build their teams and know exactly how they are going to stop this triplets line and they're doing a good job of it so far and it's worth knowing like this is like really impacting tampa as a whole like they are not doing well in terms of goals for per game goals scored They are not the offensive powerhouse that you would have thought them to be, and a lot of it is directly attributable to this sort of power outage from this trio at even strength. So you're watching to see if they can start getting a few more scoring chances, a few more high danger scoring chances, or if they're just taking a lot of perimeter shots. Right, okay, so... Last year, we all know the results, and maybe you're saying they're not taking the right shots like they did last year. But at the end of the year last year, like Kucherov had 64 points in 82 games. I remember actually talking to people over the summer and thinking that Kucherov could even potentially do better since he did that with not that many minutes. He only averaged like 15 minutes a game. And I thought if he gets even more minutes, maybe he'll be able to put up even more points. This year, he is averaging more minutes, right? He's playing now 16 minutes and 49 seconds on average a game. But like, we know how he's been starting. At the end of the day... What do you see as his point projection for the season? Like, even let's just say his point pace starting now, so you don't have to worry about accounting for the fact that he's had these only three points in 12 games. But just for his point pace moving forward, do you see him being able to hit a 64-point pace? Or do you think that was too high for him? At the end of the day, I still think he can get there. I still think they're going to figure it out. They're a really good set of players, and they have seen some things not going completely their way, even if their chances aren't as quote-unquote quality as they were last season to this point. So I would still hope for 60 points from them. In fact, I actually made a buy-low offer in the Cup Full League just like a few days ago for Kucherov. So clearly, I'm practicing what I'm preaching here. I really do think that he is going to bounce back somewhat. The question is, how much? But at this point... I'd like to just forget the first 12 games and hopefully over the next 70, he can put up, you know, a 55, 60 point pace at minimum. That would definitely make his owners happy because I'm sure people had to draft him pretty high based on all the hype from last year. And maybe we'll get into the other triplets as the weeks go, depending on how they do. But let's move on to another guy who has three points so far on the season. Very disappointing because he also had so much hype going into the year. Dougie Hamilton on Calgary. And to be honest, maybe it's less relevant now or maybe it isn't like he does have two points in his last three games which is 
like a good pace for a defenseman, right? Like if you could be getting two points every three games, you're an elite defenseman. But before that, he had only one point on the year. So Dougie Hamilton overall, a huge disappointment for the people who drafted him. And I mean, it's not only the points. Like he's been averaging less than 20 minutes a game after he was playing a lot at the start of the year but very quickly he's been bumped down he only played 12 minutes actually yesterday against Edmonton I'm actually curious if he got injured or something because that's really low now that TJ Brody is back Hamilton is paired up with Derek England as his defensive partner while Brody I was about to say is with Giordano apparently they've been split up but you know Brody Giordano Chris Russell and Dennis Weidman are making up the top four and then you've got Hamilton at the bottom there he just isn't a key part of the Calgary defense this is something I was a bit worried about in the summer I remember I said on a patron cast when we were talking about who's someone who's going to be a big bust this year and I just sort of threw him out there I was like maybe There'll be a problem with Dougie Hamilton because last year he really stood out for Boston because he got that role like almost on top of Tory Krug as the top guy, especially when Chara was injured. This year, just I don't see room for him to produce. Like I can't foresee him bouncing back so strongly. But Brian, what do you think? So you did kind of answer your own question, right, about his ice time against Edmonton, and the answer was because he's essentially on the bottom pairing right now and. Like Shannon from Lost, the guy just can't catch a break so far this season. (laughs) That's not a reference to Lost. Well, I guess things didn't go so well for Shannon when her brother died. Spoiler for season one of Lost. (laughs) Can he bounce back to those levels that we really were expecting to see from him? I don't know. Like, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, 45, 50 points, easy. Maybe we're looking more at 40 points right now. But something interesting has happened that I want to get to since TJ Brody returned, aside from just the setup of the pairings. But first, just let's review the season so far. Just three points, 23 shots on goal, and 12 games played, minus nine. And he's looked lost out there a lot of the time with Mark Giordano. It's like both guys are used to being the guy, I think, on the blue line, and neither of them really knew how to work together, either offensively or defensively. And if we take a look at Dougie's underlying numbers, in terms of shot attempts and scoring chance data, we can see what's different and that he's closer to the sort of decent Dougie Hamilton that we saw two years ago, rather than the breakout, very good Dougie Hamilton that we saw last season. So he has a lower shots per 60 rate, lower Corsi per 60 rate, lower scoring chances per 60 rate. And he's on the wrong side of scoring chances for for the first time in his career. So that is to say that of all the scoring chances that happen while he's on the ice, the majority are coming against him for the first time that he's seen. And of course, you know, a disclaimer for every stat thrown out this episode, we're still only 12 games in. There's still a lot of like settling and evening out to do, but this is just what we're presented with so far. Another thing that jumps out with me about Hamilton is that he has a low IPP so far this season. He's only been in on a quarter of the goals that his team has scored while he's on the ice compared to the 40 or 50% that he's been on in his better seasons. And that could mean two things. That could mean either that he's unlucky so far and that he's just, you know, hasn't been able to touch the puck at the right time. Or maybe Calgary's offense is not going through him the way that Boston's did when he was taking care of business with the Bruins. So that's something to keep an eye on going forward. One more number for you is that he has a 4% on ice shooting percentage, and that likely just means one thing, which is that his teammates are not scoring with the expected success that they should have with the amounts of shots they're taking so far. So hopefully that evens itself out a bit. 
And the thing that I think offers Hamilton owners reason for optimism, yes, he's on the bottom pairing, which is awful and not a good place for him to be. I don't know how long Giordano and Brody are going to be split up, but it seems like a good move trying to separate Weidman and Russell, who just cannot handle their business defensively. But since TJ Brody came back, Hamilton has two points in three games played and nine shots on goal, including a game in which he had seven shots on goal, which is like the super shot-taking Dougie Hamilton that we want to see the most that we really got excited about last year in Boston. And right now, he is playing with Derek Engeland, who is like a fringe NHL defenseman. But maybe this is actually a good situation because Dougie Hamilton is undoubtedly the trigger man in this situation. The puck is definitely coming to him to shoot. It's not a are you gonna or am I gonna situation anymore. Hamilton knows his role clearly while he's on the ice and hopefully that helps push him forward a little bit more from the pace that he started off the season. Yeah, I guess maybe I was being a bit dramatic when I was saying I can't foresee Hamilton doing better. He'll probably do better than he did to start the year. And like you say, there's some reason to be optimistic. I guess at this point, if you've held on to him this long, don't drop him now when he's got two points in his last three games. Let's see how things play out over the next couple of weeks. But yeah, definitely crowded in the Calgary defensive zone right now. Lots of fantasy worthy or at least worthy of fantasy consideration defenseman and Dougie Hamilton maybe is getting a bit lost in the bunch by the way that wasn't a lost spoiler from before that was just in a dream when Shannon uh, imagined that her brother died he was fine so don't worry about that okay so (laughs) (laughs) but you did say lost in the bunch (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) next disappointing player how about someone who we talked up at the start of the year and now we're gonna have to dress down Justin Applicator, what happened to you? I just want to say, even before you get started with him, I think you dressed him up at the start of the season. I don't think I got carried away with him. Okay, well, this guy had five points in his first two games. He was on the top line with Zetterberg, and I guess Larkin was there. Still there? Doing well? Is he? I don't know. They've been shaking around a lot. No, he's mostly been with Zetterberg, and then either Larkin or Nyquist is the third. Yeah, it looks like Larkin is back up right now, for what it's worth. But yeah, he was on this great line. Anyways, he was with Zetterberg. That's all you have to say. And he's putting up points for those two games. Since then, nothing. Literally nothing. No points. So he has five points in 11 games on the year now, and all those points are from his first two games. And even though he's been playing with Henrik Zetterberg, who's got 14 points in 11 games on the year, so he hasn't slowed down, I would have assumed, if you would have just told me after two games, by the way, Zetterberg, after 11 games, he's going to have 14 points, I'd be like, okay, great. Applicator is definitely going to be riding coattails there, and I'm going to be happy to have him. You would never guess that... Abdelkader would get nothing. So is this just bad luck for Abdelkader at this point that he hasn't been getting his IPPs that he should be getting playing with a star like Zetterberg? Or is there something wrong? Like, what do you expect from Abdelkader moving forward? Should people be dropping him at this point? I know a lot of people coming into this season thought that Abdelkader had, like, Jack Shepard potential. (laughs) But this nine-game pointless draw is really concerning, even though, like we already said, his blind mates are generally the three best players on the Red Wings. So I want you to think off the top of your head, how many points do you think Justin Applicator scored last year, actually? Uh, I remember he had a pretty decent year. I guess it was around 50. Yeah, so everybody else, take a second to think about it. I'm not going to spoil it, but I will in three, two, one. He scored 44 points last year. That's all, 44 points. And that was with an inflated shooting percentage, too. And I think a lot of people got pumped up about him because of his place on the top line last year. But even with that top line spot, he was essentially a 50-point guy if he had played all 82 games. So, Elon, you weren't far off. He was a 50-point pace guy. But that was with all the opportunities in the world 
and some puck luck on his side. And before last year, he was literally like a 25-point guy, like maybe, maybe a 30-point guy. But of course, he was elevated to a top six role. So the question is, how much can he do there? And my answer is like, I don't know, I guess not that much. I don't find what's happening with him particularly surprising. Mind you, it would help him out if the whole team looked a little bit more capable as a whole. In terms of possession, you know, they're struggling, but it's not stopping Zetterberg, Nykvist, Tatar, and Larkin from racking up points. So I don't think we should cut Ablocator too much slack here. If I'm looking at Detroit, I've got Datsuk, Zetterberg, Nykvist, and Tatar as my top guys. And then Ablocator falls in with, say, Larkin and Polkinen in the next tier of forwards. And I'm not sure I'd rather him over either of those guys right now. If we look at the usual numbers for Ablocator, his shot and shot attempt towards are significantly lower than even his 30-point days. His personal shooting percentage is actually inflated right now. And his teammates are all doing fine in spite of being on the ice with him. All this to say, consider all the other Detroit guys on the same plane as him. You should not be considering him a step above even the new guys who are still trying to make an impression. I wouldn't go that far with Abdelkader this year, especially if you had forgotten that he did just finish the season last year with 44 points. Yes, 23 of those points were goals, and he still gets to see some time on the power play. But all in all, I feel like other players might have more upside than him. Yeah, some uh, sobering news. Maybe he is actually the type of player that you could comfortably drop to free agency. Like, you know, maybe like a Josh Bailey type. Playing on the top line with Tavares is great, but at the end of the day, he's Josh Bailey. Not to, you know, maybe you'll have something to say about Josh Bailey having more potential than just an applicator. But I see him as a similar type of guy at this point. Like, if he's in a good position, he can get some point spurts just from having these great line mates. But... He's not going to be able to, you know, go crazy. And yeah, 44 points last year wasn't that special. I guess we were hoping for Jack Shepard potential, like you said, but maybe he's more of an Anna Lucia coming out strong and then fizzling out quickly. Yeah, I was going to say Hurley, but I'll trust you on that one. Oh, Brian, Hurley. Okay, I don't want to spoil. Like, Hurley is great. If he could be a Hurley, that would be fantastic for just an applicator. Well, maybe Josh Bailey is closer to that. Like, I think if they were both in the same opportunity, Josh Bailey and Justin Applicator, Josh Bailey would definitely come out ahead in terms of points. All right, well, there you go. Well, I picked up Josh Bailey after I saw that he got on that top line with Tavares. Of course, it didn't help that Tavares didn't play yesterday. Bailey did nothing. I dropped Milan McCulloch for him. This isn't a very deep league. This isn't like your weird league where Jacob Voracek got dropped. Yeah, that is one of like the shallower and more like fun ones that I've been in for a while. So it's actually, it's fun when that stuff can happen in a fantasy league, especially if you notice it and 50 minutes after it happens, you can take advantage because you're the first person who noticed. Oh, there's not even waivers in that league? Nope, straight to free agency. (laughs) Ridiculous. Okay, so there's our rundown of some players who have sucked lately. Some of them Brian expects to do better, some of them not so much. We still have a lightning round to get to, a few more players we want to discuss. Before we do, let's just take a quick moment to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the people who are supporting the show by donating $5 a month. It's been amazing having you guys supporting us, and, you know, we really appreciate it financially, but also we have our patron-only Facebook group, which has been on fire. We're having so much fun. We finally decided to institute daily in-game chatter because there was like a lot of posts happening. It's just like, oh yeah, Voracek scored. Well, actually, that hasn't happened, obviously, but <laughs> but it's really fun now just at the nights to go and sit on the couch and watch hockey and have Facebook open and chat with people as the games are going. Of course, people are also all throughout the day asking different fantasy questions. Should I pick up this guy? Should I trade this guy? It's a lot of fun, and you ask your questions. Brian and I answer. Everyone answers. There's so much good advice. We're really enjoying the Facebook group. 
And aside from that, there's the other perk of being a patron of Keeping Carlson, which is that we have our monthly patron casts, potentially soon to be two monthly patron casts, which is a special podcast just for the patrons. We do it live on Spreecast. It's always a lot of fun. They come on, they ask us questions. Brian and I talk until we lose our voices. So yeah, thanks again to everyone who has been supporting us. And I will mention the names of a few that have joined recently. Thank you to Joshua Shigaki, Mike Rapucci, Chris Ford, Lucas Flynn, Julian Bose, and a guy who didn't want us to say his name, but the manager of Jeff Carter is Bay. <laughs> that, that's a pretty good fancy team name. Very literal. And we should also, Elon, like this is actually about a year now since we opened up our Patreon page and like it was really exciting seeing like you know one new patron like five dollars a month and like you know having like six patrons at like thirty dollars a month or whatever and i remember the early days of the facebook group where it was just like a group of like eight of us but it was always as fun because we had so many great contributors always and a lot of them are still with us so can we just give props on a one-year anniversary happy anniversary to uh to jesse patty jeff anthony Ed, Jay, Ben, Tyler, Sam, Brian, Nicholas, Cam, Colton, Aaron, Christopher, and a whole bunch more. A lot of you have been with us since the very early weeks. Thank you for being the first to take the plunge into supporting the show. We really appreciate it. It's made a huge difference in making it possible for us to continue putting out new episodes and giving it our all. I'm also going to throw out Josh W., Jeff, Corey, Chris, Matt, and Yannick. You guys all rock. Thank you so much for being such a huge part of keeping this show going. Every listener who's listening right now has you guys to thank. So maybe they can re-listen to the show, hear all your names, and say thank you individually to each of you. <laughs> okay, well, I hope you didn't leave anyone out, Brian. <laughs> well, I had to cut it off at some point. We've had a lot of people with us for a long time, and we appreciate you all. We really do. Yeah, thank you, of course. And if anyone who is listening who is not a patron is interested in learning more about the patron program, the Keeping Carlson patron program, just check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson if you have any questions. We'd love to have you aboard. Okay, We still have a lightning round to get to. There's a few players that I really wanted to talk about. I'm sure you have the same. So, Brian, let's just do a little back and forth. You want to get started? Yeah, sure. I want to talk about Jimmy Howard and Peter Morazic. When we were talking about Jonathan Quick, something slipped my mind. When we were talking about quality starts, both those guys are doing amazingly at quality starts. They're both above a 920 save percentage. And we sort of thought it was like whoever's going to falter first, like somebody is going to lose the job in Detroit to be like that number one goalie. But now it looks like somebody is going to have to win the job because we have two very capable candidates apparently in that situation. The problem for both is that Detroit is just not playing very well in front of them. So while you might be getting good save percentage from either one, you might not be getting a ton of wins. I don't know if I'd expect both to be able to keep it up because some nights they are just getting shelled. But I think it's worth giving them some props with a lot of concern about both of them heading into the season. They've held up very well on a very shaky Red Wings team. Yeah, though I have to say, if you were going to pick one right now, I think I'd lean Mrazek. Like, Howard's only played two of Detroit's last seven games. And even though he's played well, like he's had a 925 save percentage and 941 save percentage, he's lost both of those games. Mrazek won yesterday against Ottawa when Howard lost against Ottawa the day before. I don't know if like some of that goes into the decision making, like more so than just the save percentage, but just whether or not they're leading the team to a win. And if so, I am a little bit nervous. I am a Jimmy Howard owner. I picked up as my third goalie in one of my leagues. I thought it was a smart pickup right now, though he is kind of seeming like a backup lately, which is disappointing. 
but he is playing well. So when he does play, he's having my save percentage. I just wish he could get in the net more, but Mrazek's doing really well himself, like you said. And another goalie tandem that I wanted to bring up, so maybe I'll switch over to my turn now. I remember I was bragging on the podcast a few weeks ago about how I was right and Brian Elliott is going to be the main guy in St. Louis and forget about Jake Allen. I didn't say forget about Jake Allen, but I thought that Elliott would be the guy who would be the 1A at least. And right now I'm kind of eating my words because Allen has started the last three games for the Blues and he's done amazing. Three wins. He had a shutout against Tampa Bay, only let in one goal against Anaheim for the win and then only let in two goals against Minnesota. Allen is on fire. I don't know if Elliott's going to get back in the net, which is concerning for me because that's who I have as my third goalie in the cupful and I thought I was gonna dominate because I had three starting goalies but yeah right now Jake Allen is shining who knows how long it will last but definitely if what I said before was that Elliot's got it now at the best I guess it's back to 50 50 and maybe even Allen right now is inching ahead yeah I feel like this is going to be a bit of a horse race all season long with each one taking the lead for bits and pieces Right now, Allen's play has been really surprising. I don't think any of us saw him coming out this strong after how much he's struggled. Even when given like the opportunity to take a number one or a number one A job, he just hasn't had it in him until now. To the point that like last night, I saw he gave up a couple goals early on. I'm like a ah, typical Jake Allen, even forgetting how well he's been doing so far this season. Another goalie that I'm interested in who has shown that he actually is capable of taking over the reins if given the opportunity coming off IR soon. Actually, wait, sorry, coming into the NHL lineup soon because right now he's on a conditioning stint in Syracuse is Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, actually, Brian, I just read that Tampa has sent down Gudlevsky's and have called up Andre Vasilevsky. So he will be in the lineup in the next game. I don't know yet if he's going to start. Tampa's playing today, actually. I wonder if Vasilevsky's going to start today. I don't know. But yeah, he's back in the lineup. Well, I suppose he's ready. He did stop 56 of 58 shots that he faced over two games in the AHL for a 966 save percentage. I guess that's pretty good. And if you are a Ben Bishop owner, you are watching your back. Because Ben Bishop right now has, well, I mean, been NHL average, 916 But I think right now, the Tampa Bay, like, future situation favors Vasilevsky. And I think he's going to get the chance to be at least a 1B if he can hold his own. And actually, Bishop needed a couple good starts recently to get up to that number. That's a 916. Now, he started the year pretty poorly. And now with Vaz coming up, it's going to be very interesting to watch how that situation works out, how much time they're going to split and whether or not Vasilevsky can get out ahead of Bishop. So if you've been counting on Bishop to be like your number one guy, you might want to start taking a peek, seeing if there's a reason for you to get Vasilevsky as a handcuff, or maybe solidify your goaltending situation otherwise. I think, Elon, I might be a little more optimistic or pessimistic, I guess it depends on which side you're on, than you are about Vasilevsky's chances of playing as many or more games than Bishop will from now till the end of the year. Yeah, I guess, in my opinion at least, I feel like it's going a bit too far to say that Vasilevsky is going to like potentially play more games than Bishop. I could see him being like a really good backup, but I still think Bishop is their guy. Like, I guess we'll find out as the weeks go. Who knows? This episode's probably going to come out after Tampa's game today, and it is looking like Vasilevsky will be playing. It's a 5 p.m. Eastern start against Carolina, which is a nice team to go against in your first game. So we'll see if people listening to it will be like, oh my god, these guys were totally off of Vasilevsky. He totally blew it in his first game, or if he gets like a shutout and all of a sudden people are rushing to grab him. Brian, we have Vasilevsky 
in our IR. We just sort of picked him up and stashed him in the IR in our joint league. And at this point, we basically now have to make a decision of whether to bring him in. I don't think we need to bring him in this week because we're already handily ahead. But then we kind of have to decide if we have any other moves we want to make, we better do them now because soon we won't be allowed to make any moves until we bring Vasilevsky in. So we have some decisions to make. And if you have Vasilevsky stashed in your IR and you have a plan to sort of leave him there and see how things go before you drop someone, if you have any other moves you want to make, you better do it soon. Maybe it'll be too late by the time you hear this podcast. If you're hearing this, it's too late. Oh, that's a Drake reference. Maybe, Brian, you could tweet it or something. It's much more current than a Lost reference. Lost is timeless. That's not true, actually. I tried to watch it a few years after it came out from the start, a few years after it ended, and it was unwatchable. Oh, my God. Don't even. You try and tell me. Don't even. Okay, just forget it, Brian. You are a hipster, and you have weird taste in everything. So don't... No one listen to him. Lost is a great show. Okay. I resent that. I haven't even listened to that Drake album. It's just a general pop culture reference. Yeah, of course you haven't. It's too popular. Okay. So oh, man. <laughs> let's talk about my next guy, my next lightning round guy. I'm going to go away from goalies. Let me mention Jake Muzzin, because here's someone who we pumped up a bit over the summer as like a solid defense option on your team. And then he decided to go ahead and make us look like fools by getting no points in his first seven games. It was a really disappointing start for Muzzin. I drafted him in one of my leagues. I was really disappointed and concerned about what his role was going to be, especially when Christian Erhoff was getting on that top power play. Well, he now has four points in his last three games, one goal and three assists. He had two assists yesterday against Nashville. One of those four points has been on the power play. So again, I'm not saying that Jake Muzzin is going to be a world beater, but I was looking at him as a potential like 40-point defenseman, and I think he still has the capability to be that. And I think Christian Ehrhoff has shown to not be too defensively capable, and also apparently he's injured now, so we'll even see how long he's on the shelf. But I think definitely if Jake Muzzin got dropped in your league and you need a depth defenseman, you know, add, like someone who can be somewhat reasonably relied upon to put up points every once in a while, I think now's your chance to grab him because I think his start is definitely not indicative of how the rest of the season will go. That's perfect, Elon, because there's a guy who I think is on a similar trajectory right now, and that's Nick Letty over in Long Island. He's the top power play guy for the Islanders. Is it Litsky who started off strong as the guy? He's faded, and that power play, as we mentioned earlier in the show, is converting at a 28% success rate, which is second in the NHL. On 10 power play goals for the Islanders to date, Letty has had a point on three of them, which is not great. That's not a huge number, but keep in mind that he wasn't playing with the top unit earlier in the year. The issue for a lot of Letty owners was that, well, if he's not producing, he isn't getting you anything else. Like, he doesn't help you much in any other peripheral, like shots on goal or hits or blocks. He's just like someone that you hope can help you with 35 or 40 points. And over the last few games, he has stepped it up somewhat. I think he is somebody who might have been dropped in a lot of leagues, who still might be able to help you going forward, who might be better than your third or fourth defenseman going forward. And we've mentioned IPP on the show so much so far this year. His is just at 14% so far. So while he's on the ice, he's just not getting onto the score sheet for whatever goals are scored while he's there at even strength. Hopefully that changes as the season moves forward. Yeah, Letty, just like Muzzin, started the year with no points in his first seven games, but now he has four points in his last four games. So definitely time to pick up either Muzzin or Letty, whichever one is available. Brian, if you had to pick one right now, I'm assuming it's Letty since he's on the top power play. That's really tough, actually. I feel like I would go Letty, but Muzzin is super tempting. I feel like they're probably very, very close. And actually, 
I'm looking and I'm seeing that Muzzin might actually be on the top power play himself. Though it's hard with LA right now, like we've been saying, like the top power play, I guess, would be the one with Kopitar. But, you know, maybe you want to be on the one with Jeff Carter. So <laughs> seems like Muzzin will be in a good position on either power play. And Muzzin, yeah, I like him. But I like Letty also. But I think actually I might go with Muzzin. I don't know. Just a hunch. Okay, let me throw one more player out there. Here's someone that maybe could have been mentioned in the Does He Suck segment. Jason Pominville has been really disappointing this year. He only has five assists now in 11 games played. No goals. This is a guy who we probably would have been expecting to get like 60 points on the year and 20 or 30 goals. But, you know, if you look last year, he only had 18 goals and 54 points. He had 60 points and 30 goals the year before that, but maybe his career is on a downswing. He's now 32 years old, and like I say, a really rough start to this year. Even though he is on the top line, he's getting good opportunities playing with Parisi. He's on the top power play, but yeah, not much is happening for Pominville. Not sure if it's bad luck or just career downturn. Like, Brian, do you have any sense of what's going on with Pominville? No, I don't. Like, I still think he's a pretty steady guy, and I still think things will come together for him. I'm not overly concerned. Like, Elon, we dropped him from our joint team just because there were hotter hands available, and that's the strategy we chose to go with. I imagine at some point in the season, he will be a candidate to re-add. Those goals will come. It's just a matter of when. Although it's interesting, because Minnesota, as a team, is shooting very, very well. He's just not one of the guys that's benefiting from that, unfortunately, for his owners. Yeah, 28 shots so far this season and no goals. So you would expect, I guess, some to go in, at least. He's not going to score zero goals all year if he's taking these shots. Speaking of shooting well, Elon made probably the most cryptic tweet ever from our Keeping Carlson Twitter account, announcing Kiro's call-up when we would have expected Dano. However, Tanner Kiro is the guy who gets the next shot And he's been playing uh, not a whole lot of minutes and not with very good players like guys like Ryan Garbett and Brian Bickle. (laughs) Wait a minute, Brian. You're talking about the Chicago Blackhawks, right? Yeah. I feel like when you're talking about Kiro, you need to give a bit of context as to what team you're talking about. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, you don't know that Ryan Garbett plays for the Blackhawks either (laughs) and that Bickle didn't get traded away in the summer. Anyway, and Ryan Hartman, another classic Chicago Blackhawk. So this is like an interesting situation for him because he's actually, he's put on eight shots on goal in his two games up with the big club, which is pretty interesting and exciting. He was considered to maybe be somebody who can step onto that top line role because clearly the Blackhawks are not impressed with what they're seeing from Teravainen. And like I suggested earlier, Tikhanov on the top line is not a long-term solution. So maybe this guy gets a look before long. Tanner Kiro, just going to put his name out there so we can pat ourselves on the back in the case that he does do something fantasy relevant. And Elon, I know we said that's the last guy, but I think we shouldn't close out the show without mentioning Travis Zajac as a devil that we didn't mention last week. He has seven points in his last six games, including four goals, which is um, actually pretty rare for him. Don't expect that to continue at the pace that it is. But, you know, he might get a few more than maybe we would have thought at the start of the season. Hopefully he will beat his 29 points from last season. I can see that happening pretty easily. And also Patrick Hornqvist, along with a bunch of Penguins, are getting back on the scoreboard. Hornqvist with three points in his last two games, seven shots on goal. I own him in two of my leagues. Maybe that's why I want to mention this now. It's really nice to have him back with the team, back producing. Yeah, as far as Travis Ajak goes, I'll just say, meh. You know, last week we were talking about Lee Stempniak. There's a bunch of guys on the Devils that their names are going to pop up every once in a while, but I'm not too, too excited. And I say last week we mentioned, I wasn't even there. You mentioned. Oh, and our great guest mentioned. By the way, Dmitry Filipovich did an awesome job, like made me fear for my job security. Like great podcast last week, Brian, with Dmitry. And Dmitry, if you're listening, that was really great. I really enjoyed it. But okay, 
that takes us to the end of the show. Another long one. I feel like every week, Brian, we say before we record, okay, let's make this one a little bit shorter because who has the time? But there were just so many players to talk about and hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Let us know. You know, give us some feedback. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to just hear, you know, like the show. Also, if you have any comments or criticism, we'd love to hear that as well. Maybe you're complaining about too many lost references. That would be fine. So maybe that would make you a bit of a Nikki and Paolo, like being a complainer. But yeah, we do want to hear your feedback. Also, we like to mention every week, if you would be so kind, if you haven't done so yet, head on over to iTunes, give us a five-star review, help us stay relevant in this vast landscape of fantasy hockey podcasts. And of course, thanks to Dobber Hockey for presenting us. Thanks to the patrons for supporting us. Again, that's keepingcarlson.com slash patron. If you want to do that, dobberhockey.com. If you want to check out Dobber Hockey, that's it for me. Why don't we cue up the outro music? And Brian, read us the credits. Okay, but first I really meant to talk about Morgan Riley. So if he does really well this week, we saw it coming. All right, this show was presented by Dauber Hockey and was supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from DauberHockey.com, Hockey Reference, War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Roto World, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey, and the Wikipedia page for Lost TV Series Casting Characters. I was not using that, but I guess Brian was. But aside from that, good job, Brian. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you all with another episode next week. Thank you very much, Elon. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, keep on keeping Carl Sahn.